Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Today, I want to start a series of messages, and um, we're going to skip over this particular subject on Valent for Valentine's weekend, and then we also have a guest speaker coming. But probably for the next six weeks or so, maybe eight, um, I'm going to be talking to you about growing your faith. In 2 Thessalonians 1.3, Paul writes and says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly. Your faith grows exceedingly. It's unfortunate, but it does happen where somebody gets right with God. They get saved. They come into the kingdom of God. They're born again. But for the next 20 years, they don't grow spiritually. Spiritually, they're still a toddler. You've got to give them pablum and, and, and change their diapers spiritually, right? They're the person who always just wants somebody to pray for them. They don't share their faith. Uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, Paul talks about the carnal man, or the, excuse me, the natural man. The natural man is someone that's not born again. But then as he goes into the third chapter, he talks about the carnal man. Now, Really, it's talk, when it's talking there about carnal, it's talking about flesh or meat. In, in fact, uh, how many of you, you like Spanish food? You like frijoles con carne, you know, beans with meat, right? And, and carne there means meat. And basically what Paul is saying when he says, you're carnal, he's saying you're a meathead, right? <laughs> and, and what he's saying is you live, you, you let your flesh your meat determine where you go, what you do, your desires. He's saying your body is running your life. And then he says, and I couldn't speak to you as, as unto spiritual. Saying there are people that are Christians that they're living out of their spirit. Their spirit is dictating it. And that's the part of you that becomes a new person in Christ. But unfortunately, some people get right with God, but they don't grow spiritually. Their faith is not growing. Now, when we talk about faith, we can define it in so many different ways, but I would just like to begin by saying it's complete trust and confidence in God. That's what our faith is. It's complete trust and confidence in God and acting accordingly. And that, that's a really important add-on, and acting or living accordingly. A, a lot of people, when they think of faith, they think of faith as a noun. Now, what that means is it's just something that you believe. You can say, well, I believe Jesus died. I believe Jesus rose again. I believe Jesus is coming again. But that is not Bible faith. Bible faith is not recognizing those things. Bible faith is recognizing those things, and then it changes how you live. The Bible says in the book of James that the demons believe and tremble. How I many you know demons are not getting saved? Now, they know the true things. Now, it's John Wesley who called that mental assent. And that's the first time I believe that he coined that phrase, mental assent. So you recognize in your mind, mentally, yeah, those things are true. And I believe that they're true. But it doesn't change how you live. 
And if it doesn't change how you live, it's not Bible faith. Because Bible faith is an act. It's always an act. So we can say it's complete trust, it's confidence in God that causes us to act or to live differently. Your faith is supposed to grow. It is not supposed to be stagnant. Uh, One of my grandsons, in fact, my oldest grandson, Gabe, was uh, playing around this last year on a trampoline, doing some flips, and fell really funny and broke his ankle. Now, I think it was only like five weeks or so that, that he was on crutches, but it was just amazing to watch his leg just atrophy. I mean, the, that broken leg just withered right up. Right? Now, that's what happens when we don't use our faith. Faith is like a muscle. Right? You've got to use it. Now, Romans 10 in verse 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, after it comes, listen, here's what people don't understand. It has to be nurtured. You just don't get faith, receive it, and then do nothing with it. That's like having a muscle that you don't do anything with. It's going to atrophy. Uh, There's a couple of different great verses that that kind of we can use to talk about this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6, the apostle Paul wrote and said, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. So the kingdom of God, Jesus said, is like a seed that gets planted, right? But then it needs to be watered. Uh, Some of you may have a garden or some flowers outside, and if there's a drought and you don't water those flowers, what happens? They wither up and they die. And it's not that the seed wasn't planted and it wasn't received, but it wasn't watered. It wasn't nurtured. And your faith needs to be nurtured. It's like that muscle. It has to be used, and it has to be fed. In Mark, the fourth chapter, Jesus is talking again about the kingdom of God and how it works, and he says, first the blade, then the head. After that, the full grain in the head. First there's a blade, a stalk, and then there's an ear. Then there's the full corn in the ear. He's saying it's not instantaneous, and that's what most of us want. We want things to just be like that. Just snap your fingers, right? But it has to be nurtured. It has to be used, right? Faith sees and does what others don't. It hears from God. It fights the good fight of faith. It acts in response to the word of God. It receives from God. It resists. It works. It gives. It sacrifices. It loves. Bible faith is is not a noun, but it's a verb. It's something that we do. Again, more than just having something in our head. Again, the demons believe and they they tremble. So the Bible says this is the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without works is dead. So your faith is not really Bible faith until you begin to move. You begin to do something with that faith. Now, what we so often believe is we, we think that, that God is up in heaven. It's like he's got this big desk, right? And he's got all these stacks of requests. Right? And we think God takes a look at your request, right? And he says, hmm, this is what they want. But, hmm, 
They missed church. They lusted last week. No, throw that one out. Right? And that's kind of how we, we, we thank God. God is looking individually at each particular case, looks at you, and decides what to do or not to do. Now, Romans 3, verse 27 says, By what law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. So faith is a law. Faith works by laws. Just like in the natural realm, we understand that there's laws. An airplane can fly because of of thrust and uh, lift. You put those laws together. Uh, In in fact, it's interesting. When an airplane crashes, you know, the Federal Aviation Association comes in and and does their examination. They never say the reason that plane crashed was because gravity spiked. Just pulled it down. Because gravity is a law, it is just assumed gravity is a constant, right? Now, faith in spiritual things, just like natural things, are a constant. And because somebody's not flowing in them doesn't mean they're not there. The, the, the laws of lift and of thrust, they were in existence when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. And those laws could have been put into practice in the Garden of Eden. But they didn't understand the laws of lift and thrust. And so they walked. Now, the same thing is true spiritually. There are spiritual laws. And those laws, if you are ignorant of those laws or violate those laws, there's consequences. And God has spiritual laws just like he has natural laws. So in Mark, the fifth chapter, very famous Bible story about Jesus and the, the woman with the issue of blood. The Bible says that this woman has had an issue of blood for 12 years, and she comes up to Jesus because she heard about Jesus. And she said, she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. One translation says she just kept on saying, she kept saying, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. She comes through the crowd, and she touches Jesus. And when she does, the Bible says immediately she felt in herself that she was cured of her affliction. And Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? Now, here's where we often kind of miss it. Because we we think, well, that's a rhetorical question. Jesus knows who's talking. Jesus knows who touched him. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. You know, one of the very first church councils established this, that Jesus was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. And if you look in the book of Philippians chapter 2, theologians call this the kenosis. It's the emptying. It says that Jesus emptied himself and became like a human being. So what he did, all of his innate deity, all of his special powers as God, he left. And when Jesus came, he operated as a man. Now, if he didn't, he would have never said, the works that I do will you do also. Because if he did those works because he was God, we could never do anything like that. But if he did them because he was a man, then we can. In fact, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus, speaking of himself says, a prophet is not without honor 
except in his own town among his own relatives. So Jesus, 100% God, 100% man, but he emptied himself of all of those special divine powers. So when he turned around and said, who touched me? Jesus did not know who touched him. And he's looking around. The Bible says he's trying to figure out who it was that touched him. And the woman came and told him everything. Now, what that woman did was she operated in a spiritual law. For she said she believed and she did. And when she did, what she believed about Jesus, something supernatural happened. Now, right now we're in this building. I want to tell you what we didn't do this morning. You know, we got here about uh, a little before seven o'clock and we did not call the electric company and go, turn get, send us electricity. Please send us electricity. We have got people coming here today to hear the word of God and to worship. And some of these people need to get saved. Send electricity. We didn't do that. You say, why? Because the problem was not with the electric company. The problem was we needed to turn on the switch. All we needed to do was flip the switch. Now, now listen, everything that you need, God's already done. The Bible says this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. As his divine power has given, has given, past tense, to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We think we've got to get God to do something. But the Bible tells us that God has already done something. And we're waiting for God. Now, what we're looking for is, is, is like this, this sense that we're all right, that we qualify. So Romans 3, verse 28 says, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified. That means he pleases God and is righteous before God. He's justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So you are not accepted by God based on the works of the law, based on the things that you've done and haven't done. But yet we think God's got the, our prayers up in heaven. He reads our prayer and then he sees how well we behave. Oh, they lost it. They can't, they can't. No, 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 they didn't, they didn't go to church. They missed church. They didn't pray this week. No, they didn't, they didn't do this. They didn't do that. And we think that disqualifies us. But the Bible says that we are justified apart from our behavior, apart from the things that we do or we don't do. Now, Romans 1.16, the King James says it like this. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. So I want to give you a couple different translations. Right? The Lovett translation is my favorite. The gospel reveals God's way of making men as righteous as himself. I'll say it again. It reveals God's way of making men as righteous as himself. Stephen's translation. It reveals the way in which sinful men may be accepted before God and stand in his presence approved of and forgiven. No guilt, no shame, no condemnation, none of this I'm not worthy. All right? Because we are saved by grace 
through faith, not of works, least anyone should boast. Now, grace literally means receiving what you do not deserve. How I many you know we don't deserve it? We all deserve to go to hell. That's what we deserve. But grace is getting what you don't deserve. But what we think is God's got our prayer requests, and then underneath there, he's got all the things that we've done wrong or haven't done right, and that he judges based on those things. But the truth is, God, by grace, has already supplied everything that we need. And by the law of faith, we believe and tap into or receive what he's done for us. Just like God has laws of nature, there are spiritual laws. And listen, somebody says, God can do anything. No, he can't. He can't violate his word. Right? God cannot violate his word. Psalms 138, verse 2. You have magnified your word above all your name. In other words, if God didn't do what he said, now God limited, nobody limited God except God himself. He said, this is what I'm going to do. And he says, if I don't do what I said I'm going to do, I'm not who I say that I am. He's magnified his word above his name. Hebrews 1 and verse 3. Upholding all things by the word of his power. Amplified. And propelling all things, the entire physical and spiritual universe, by his powerful word. Another translation, sustaining all things by his powerful word. In other words, if God didn't keep his word, the universe itself would explode. So God has limited himself. He said, this is what I'm going to do. In Psalms 89, verse 34, my covenant I will not break, nor alter the words that have gone forth out of my mouth. Now, when God created man, this is Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth, and God said, this is important, said, let there be light, and there was light. Then he creates man. And he says, let us make him in our likeness according to our image. We're created like God. Let me just tell you that what that means is that you are a speaking spirit. And the way that you exercise dominion is the same way that God exercised dominion and authority. It is by speaking. It's by speaking. And then he said, you know, let man be fruitful and multiply. He fill the earth. Let him subdue the earth. And have dominion. Subdue the earth and have dominion. Uh, it's in Psalms 115, verse 16. It says, The heavens, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. So he gave Adam and Eve, he gave mankind dominion, authority. He said, Subdue. When Jesus arose from the dead, he said to his disciples, All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go you therefore. He said, look, that authority that I have, I give that authority to you. Now, what we tend to do is we sit back and we're asking God to do things. But God is saying, I have given you the authority on this earth. I've given you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. One of the, the, the popular verses that, that we, we tend to, I don't say we misquote it, we just don't give the whole verse. 
But it says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. And it's amazing, 90, not over 90% of the time that you hear that verse, that's all you hear. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can ask or think. The rest of the verse says, according to the power at work in us. According to the power at work in us. But what we're doing is we're saying, God, do this. God, hey, God, the devil's after me. Sick him. Get the devil. God, do this. God, do that. But the Bible says he has given you and I authority. Jesus said, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the devil and nothing shall by any means harm you. But if we don't use that authority, the Bible says, for example, 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9, resist him, steadfast in the faith. James chapter 4, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Who has authority to resist the devil? Who has authority over all of the power of the devil? It's according to the power that works in you. But so often, we're expecting God to do what he's given us the responsibility and the authority to do. And we're thinking that what God is doing is he is looking at us. And he said, well, you weren't all that good. And you didn't pray enough. And you didn't give enough. And you didn't do this. And you did that. And we are seeing ourselves as being disqualified. But that is not the case. In fact, in 1 John, it says that we need to assure our hearts. Right? Assure our hearts. If your heart condemns us, it says we assure our hearts. And if our heart condemns us, God's greater than our heart. In other words, there is a natural tendency to look at yourself and disqualify yourself. Oh, I, I didn't pray enough. I didn't read my Bible enough. I did this. I did that. But the Bible says you need to assure your heart. And even if your heart condemns you, he said, you need to assure your heart. You're right with God. You are, you, you are justified. You're sanctified. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're an ambassador of the kingdom of God, and your citizenship is in heaven. And because of the gospel, you please God and are accepted of God. You got to assure your heart because the devil's going to come along and try to condemn you. He's going to tell you you're not good enough. You didn't do enough. But again, we're not saved by works. Romans 3.20, by the works of the law, no one has ever been made right with God. It's by grace. And again, by definition, it means receiving what we do not deserve. In, uh, yeah. Let me just talk a little bit more on faith, and then we'll get back on this. Now, our faith is supposed to be growing. It's in uh, 1 Peter 2.2. 2. It says, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Again, our faith is not to be stagnant. 
it is supposed to be growing. And the Bible tells us food for your spirit, food for your faith, is the word of God. And I can remind you, the Thessalonians, he says, your faith grows exceedingly. The Bible tells us that David killed a lion, he killed a bear, then he killed a giant. And then as a leader in Israel, he was defeating the Philistines. And then when he became king, <clears throat> excuse me, he defeats all of the enemies all around. Now, the lion, the bear, the giant, I, I think that it didn't tell us about the coyote and the wolf. It wasn't that he began on the top of the scale. He worked his way up. Right? Jesus tells us in Mark chapter 4, he says that first that there's a blade, and then there's an ear, and then there's the full corn in the ear. He says your faith produces, but it produces over time. Right? And your faith needs to be growing. In uh, Matthew's gospel, the 17th chapter, what, is, what has happened is Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration and Moses appears with Elijah and they talk with Jesus about the death and his resurrection. And, and he comes down the mountain. But while he's been up on the mountain, there's a man who has a son who has some sort of seizures. And they, he brings them to the nine disciples that are down and they pray for the men, but they don't get any help. There's no relief. And so when Jesus comes, the man sees Jesus and runs over to Jesus and says, I brought my son to your disciples, but they couldn't help. And he says, uh, if you can do anything, he says, please have mercy on us, help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Now, this man literally tried to put everything on Jesus. Jesus, you just handle this. You take care of it. You do everything. But Jesus would not receive that. Jesus said, no, 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 it's not all up to me. He said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And this is the man's response. It's very important. He said, I do believe. Help thou my unbelief. So here's what we sometimes don't understand. It is possible to believe and have unbelief at the same time. You can believe in your heart, but still being attacked in your head with unbelief, right? And so Jesus brings healing to this boy and the disciples come and say, Jesus, uh, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus said, because of your unbelief. Now, the disciples beforehand, Jesus had sent them out and they came back and they said, Jesus, man, people are being healed and the demons are subject to us in your name. But now they had problems in this case. And Jesus said, because of your unbelief. So did they have some faith? Yeah, but they had more unbelief than they had faith. And one of the things that we're going to be, be, be doing in the, the next several weeks, that we're going to be pulling out unbelief. We're going to be pulling it out. Because it's not sometimes that people don't have faith. They just have unbelief that cancels out their faith. And that's what happened with his disciples. He said, for I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed. Now, Jesus goes on and, and, and talks about the mustard seed. He says, smaller than all the seeds. He says, but when it's planted, it becomes the largest of all of the, of the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the fruit trees in the garden. 
He says, now, it may start small. He says, but you plant that thing, and you take care of it, and it grows, and it affects everything that's around it. So your faith may start small and does start small, but it's supposed to grow, right? He said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain. <laughs> One translation says, if you had any faith, you would be saying. See, it's in 2 Corinthians 4 in verse 13 that it says, since we have the same, it literally is identical. We could say even carbon copy. You have the exact same. Since we have the same spirit of faith. Spirit of faith. Uh, that, that's one of the reasons that we have church is because the spirit of faith is not taught, it's caught. That's why it's important to have some faith-filled friends. Remember the man who's a paralytic and the Bible says that he had four friends that brought him where Jesus was, couldn't get in, climbed up on the roof, made a hole in the roof. You need some crazy faith friends, all right? Because again, the spirit of faith is not taught. The spirit of faith is caught, right? That's one of the things that we do. We, we get together. That's why we, we, we fellowship together. That, that's why Jeannie and I, I mean, we're part of a small group. We want to encourage. We want to build up, right? If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you would be saying, you'd be saying, since we have the same, the identical spirit of faith, according to what's written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we speak. The spirit of faith has two ingredients. There is a believing ingredient and there is an action or speaking ingredient, right? And uh, I've said this before, but really in the realm of the spirit, faith is like a quarter. On one side, you look at that quarter, there's the head of a dead president. On the other side, there's an eagle. The United States Treasury says that if either side is marred, it's not legal tender. And in the spirit realm, faith has two sides. There's a believing side and there is a speaking side. Both sides have to be intact. You have to believe that what Jesus purchased for you belongs to you now and you've got to act or you've got to speak. In fact, when Jesus talks to his disciples about faith, and I'm just going to close with this statement. In Mark chapter 11, he, he curses a fig tree, and the fig tree withers and dies. And the disciples said, look what happened. And Jesus said in verse 22, he said, have faith in God. So, so I want to make something really clear right now. When we're talking about faith, we're talking about faith in God. Faith in God's word. We are not talking about some innate power that you have. This is not some new age mumbo jumbo, right? This is what Jesus said. He said, your faith has to be in God. It has to be that God is going to do what God said that he was going to do. And then Jesus said, verily, I say unto you, explaining faith, whosoever will say. Whosoever, the first thing you need to know about faith is that it's in your heart, but the way that it's expressed is by the things that you say or the things that you do. 
Jesus said, faith works for whosoever will say. So all you need to do to not have your faith work is keep your mouth shut. Pretty simple. You just disqualify yourself. The Bible says in Romans 10 that if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is your Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes, but with the mouth confession is made unto. All right, would you bow your heads for just a moment? You know, one of the great tragedies that we have in the church in America is that we just assume everybody's right with God. But nobody is a, is a Christian by association. My, my parents were Christians, or I come to church. That doesn't, that doesn't make you right with God. We live in a culture that tells us, just be a good person and you'll go to heaven. Do you know what? The Bible does not teach that good people go to heaven. The Bible teaches forgiven people go to heaven. And that there's really just one way, and that's God's way. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. That means all of my efforts could never make me right with God, and all of your efforts can never make you right with God. you got to do God's way. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. And what that means is this, that you need to give him all of your heart and all of your life. And with Jesus, it really is all or nothing. And today, we're here in God's house. Some of you, you're, you're online. And you don't realize it, but the reason that you're here is you're here to get right with God today. Now, all of us know about God. We all know about Jesus. We celebrated Christmas. We celebrated Easter. But salvation has never been about what you know. It's never been about your head. It's always been about your heart. You have to give Jesus all of your heart and all of your life. He said, you must be born again. That means you need to give him all your heart, all your life. He's not a thief to steal your heart. He's not a manipulator to deceive you into giving it. It is your choice. And if you have not given Jesus all of your heart and life, you still have it and he will never take it by force. But he does say, today is the day of salvation and you must be born again. It's not optional. The Bible way is found in John chapter 1, verse 12. To as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to be the children of God. You've got to not just know about him. You've got to receive him. Receive him as your Lord, as your king, and give him all of your heart and all of your life. Now, I'm going to count to three. And if you're here, or even if you're online, wherever you're at, when I say three, I want you to lift up your hand. And when you, when, you, when you do that, you're saying, I don't want Jesus to just be in my head. I want Jesus to be in my heart and to be in control of my life. One, when you lift that hand, you're saying, I want to be born again. I want to be a part of the kingdom of God. Two, get ready. When you say that, you're saying, I'm giving Jesus all my heart, all my life. I'm holding nothing back. Three, lift that hand up. Lift it up. Please, high. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, and I can't see what's in the balcony, 
Hands up there. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. It's literally hands all over. Hands all over. Now I'm going to ask everybody that's here and it, you're online. If you can, would you take one hand, put it over your heart and lift your other hand towards heaven. And we're going to pray together with those that have lifted their hands. I want you to make these words your own. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. And I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to live for Jesus every day. I thank you that I am forgiven. That my past is gone. I'm accepted by you. Not because of what I've done. Not because of what I will do, but because of Jesus. He paid the price for my sin. I'm going to live for him every day. Thank you. I'm a part of your family today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly. So join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.